Good morning, everyone. Hey, today's scripture passage is from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. This comes from the English Standard Version. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of, the, uh, because we are members of his body, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Good to see you guys. How are you doing after that scripture reading? All right. So we had a men's night, Monday night, with some guys from the church. If you missed it, you missed out, you'll have to come to the next one. But as we were chatting, hanging out, some questions came up about airplanes and why they do certain things certain way on airplanes. Things that maybe don't make any sense. Like, do you know why airplanes turn the lights off before you land at night? You ever thought about that? Seems weird, right? But there's a reason for it. The reason is they want your eyes to adjust to the darkness so that if you have to evacuate, if something goes wrong and you need to evacuate, when you get outside, you already have your night vision ready to go and you can see what's going on. It's a safety concern, right? But if that's the case, why do they crank all the lights way up right before they turn them down? It doesn't make any sense, does it? But again, there's a good reason for it. Because if something goes wrong with the plane and you need to evacuate, What do they have running along the aisle? Glow-in-the-dark strips. And you have to crank the lights up to recharge those glow-in-the-dark strips so that if something goes wrong, those glow-in-the-dark strips are charged and you can see it so you know where to go as you walk down the aisle. See, these things that at first glance make no sense, once you understand why they do them, once you understand the goal they're trying to accomplish, all of a sudden they make perfect sense. And as we come to today's passage, it says some things that to many people in our world make absolutely no sense. Like the commands in this passage, they seem out of date. They seem like things that no reasonable person could expect of us in today's day and age. But just as with the airlines, there's a goal that these things are trying to accomplish. And if we understand the goal that they're trying to accomplish, then within that context, these commands are going to make perfect sense. So we're today going to be looking at these commands for husbands and wives from Ephesians chapter 5. And if you're single or if you're a teenager and you're like, I came on a week, they're talking about marriage, I'm just going to take a nap, stay awake. 
because this is for you too. You know why? Because hopefully, if you're single or you're a teenager, you have thoughts that maybe someday I would like to get married. I know it's a long ways away, but maybe someday this could be part of my future. And if that's the case, then you want to be preparing now, thinking through what type of a spouse do I need to be to have a good marriage? What type of spouse do I want to look for if I'm going to have a good marriage? And so if you're single, if you're a teen, listen up, because hopefully this will prepare you as you think about what it could look like for you to be married someday. And so what we're going to see today is that marriage is to make us glorious like Jesus. Marriage is to make us glorious like Jesus. And we'll look at the goal of marriage, the struggle in marriage, the power for marriage, and some practicalities of marriage. But first, let's pray. Father, I pray for our time today. God, this is a a difficult text to teach, so I pray that you'd help me to speak clearly. I pray that what I say would be accurate with what you're trying to communicate to us through your word. And I pray that your word would work powerfully in our hearts and in our lives to give us a clearer picture of who you call us to be in our marriages. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, first, we're starting with the goal of marriage. And again, I realize many of us probably had like cultural sensitivity bells going off on high alert when we hear verses 22 through 24 saying that wives should submit to their husbands. And it can be easy for our people in our day and age to just get so caught up in that part of the passage and, and the shock of that command that we just start thinking about that. Like, how could, how could they say this? What, is, that, is that really for us today? And we get so caught up in that that we actually don't hear the rest of the passage as it's being read. And if you did that during the scripture reading, if you got so caught up in those commands at the start that you missed the rest of the passage, you actually missed out on hearing the goal of everything in this passage. And if you don't understand that goal, nothing else in the passage makes sense. And what is the goal of all these commands? It's to make us more like Jesus, which in the context of the passage, it makes perfect sense. If you were here last week, we talked about this command just a few verses earlier to be filled, constantly be being filled by the Holy Spirit. That we talked about how we, we all at times feel this thirst in life for something more, this disconnect between the way things are and the way they're supposed to be. And this longing to have that disconnect bridged so that we can have things the way they're supposed to be. And so often we turn to wrong things to try to do that, whether that's sex, whether that's alcohol and drugs, whether that's other things that are harmful and and hurt the people around us because we're trying to get them in the wrong ways. And Paul's saying, the way to get that is be filled by the Holy Spirit. God wants to satisfy us. God wants to give us his spirit to come live inside us, guide us in how to live life. And he said at the end of last week's passage that if the Holy Spirit is living inside us, three things are gonna happen in our lives. One, we're gonna speak to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Two, we're going to give thanks always and for everything to God. And three, we're going to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And pretty much any English Bible you look at, mine included, has a little section break right here between that command to be filled with the Spirit and the instructions for husbands and wives. 
Some will put it before verse 21 so that this idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is completely disconnected from the command to be filled with the spirit. Some like mine put it after verse 21 so that these commands for husbands and wives are disconnected from both the command to submit to one another and the command to be filled with the spirit. And you can understand why they do that because it, it seems like it's introducing a new topic. But really, when you do that, you completely miss the point of what Paul is trying to say here. This submission of, of wives to husbands is directly connected to that command in verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit. And the, the idea that when we do that, all of us are going to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In fact, it's so closely connected that if you read it in the Greek, the verb submit doesn't even appear in verse 22. It's just implied from the context of verse 21. So if you read it literally in the Greek, it says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. So this command for wives to submit is totally rooted in the command for all Christians to, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, which by the way, means that on some level, husbands are also commanded to submit to their wives. It's going to look differently in the different sides of the relationship, but most commentators would argue that in the later part of this passage, when it says husbands love your wives, love functions essentially as a synonym of submit right here. That each of them is a call for each spouse in the relationship to lay down their rights to seek the good of the other above themselves. Husbands are called to do this, wives are called to do this, and it looks slightly differently based on your role in the marriage, but all of us are called to lay down our rights to seek the good of our spouse above ourselves. And so this command to submit is completely based on that command to be filled with the Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit's job in the life of a Christian? To make us more like Jesus. The Spirit's job is to make us more like Jesus. So if we're following the instructions here, it's gonna be making us more like Jesus, making us more glorious like Jesus. And so how does that happen functionally? Well, let's start with the men. The instructions to the men here were, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Christ love the church? He laid down his life for the church. Jesus died so the church could live. You know, I know like in our culture, we hear those verses 22 through 24, wives submit to your husband and we're like, oh, submit, yuck. But many people would argue the men, the husbands actually have a harder command given to them in this passage. Because if you're a husband, the command is die for your wife, right? That's, that's very, very, very difficult. On our own power, we cannot love this way, which is why it's completely linked to that command to be filled with the Spirit. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, this is not happening. You are not loving your wife like this if you don't have the Holy Spirit working inside of you. But if you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, if you're constantly being filled by the Spirit, if you're constantly overflowing with sacrificial love for your wife through the power of the Spirit, what's going to happen? Through that process, the Holy Spirit is going to make you more like Jesus. Obeying the commands in this passage, men, is going to make you more like Jesus. 
And for the woman, can submission really be part of the process of making you more glorious? Well, look again at at verses 25 through 27. It's describing what Jesus did for the church, which is supposed to set the precedent for how husbands treat their wives. It says, he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, that set her apart as his own, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Now that word splendor could be translated like honor, renown, marvelous. The goal of marriage is that the wife would become marvelous through experiencing her husband's love. Let that sink in for a minute. The goal of marriage, according to Paul right here, is that the wife would become marvelous through experiencing her husband's love. Beautiful, not just externally, but but internally in her character, personally growing into the fullness of who God made her to be. Now, wives, I have a question for you. If you have a husband who's loving you in this way, seeking to help you become the best you that you could possibly be, then is submitting to his leadership good for you or bad for you? It's not a trick question. If, if he's genuinely seeking to, to help you grow and make you the best you that you could possibly be, if he's laying down his rights for your good, then by submitting to him, you are seeking your own good. By resisting him, you're actually fighting against you becoming marvelous. And check out how awesome this is. As you submit, you're encouraging him in his leadership, which makes him feel like this is good. I can keep going. I'm motivated. I'm encouraged. And that helps him keep loving you and keep becoming more like Jesus in the process. So he's helping you become more like Jesus. You're helping him become more like Jesus. Everyone is becoming glorious and marvelous and amazing through a properly functioning marriage relationship. So the goal is, is that both parties, the husband and the wife in a marriage, treat one another in such a way that by being married to one another, we become more glorious by becoming more like Jesus. The theologian C.S. Lewis, he had a famous sermon called The Weight of Glory. He had a quote at the end of this sermon that's just fantastic about how he thinks all Christians should think about one another and act towards one another and treat one another. And it's a long quote, but I'm going to read the whole thing to us right now because I think it just does a, a great job summarizing what Paul's saying right here about how husbands and wives are called to treat one another. He says, it may be possible for each person to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter, like in heaven. It's hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. In marriage, that's your husband or your wife. The load or weight or burden of my neighbors, of my spouse's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it and the backs of the proud will be broken. It's a serious thing to live in a society or be in a part of a marriage of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most interesting person you talk to, the dullest and most uninteresting person you might be married to, may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It's in the light of these overwhelming possibilities that we should conduct all our dealings with one another. 
all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. There are no ordinary spouses. You have never talked to, you have never been married to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it's immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Paul, he's calling husbands and wives to live with a daily recognition of the fact that the person we are married to is going to live for eternity. And in eternity, that person is going to be a creature that if we saw them right now, we would either be tempted to worship them because they're so amazing and glorious, or they'd be a creature that we only see now in the worst of our nightmares, a horror. And he's calling us to intentionally stop fighting for our rights, lay down our ability to fight for our rights in order to pursue the glory of that other person we're married to. That's the goal of marriage, but it's not easy, which brings us to the struggle in marriage. See, God designed marriage to be this beautiful tool for human flourishing, and Paul is outlining how marriage needs to work in order to enable that flourishing. And again, like I said, despite that goodness, the the path to that goal just sort of makes a lot of us bristle, doesn't it? Like, really, women need to submit? Really, men need to to lay down your lives? Like, men, you don't need to answer this because it might embarrass some of us. But as a man, when you heard the first verses in this passage, and it's like, wives, submit to your husband in all things, that's the Lord. Was any man like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Right? But but then when you read the rest of the passage, what you realize is it's not the husband is the king who gets to be pampered all day long and have everything go his way. It's no, 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 no. The husband is the servant who lays down his rights, lays down his life in order to seek the good of his wife. You know, this, this and the passage we're looking at next week with instructions to children and servants, it's something called a household code. And in the ancient world, they had lots of household codes with instructions for wives, children's, and servants on how to behave in the house. And in the household codes outside of the Bible, they never, ever, ever, ever include instructions for the men because the men have the power. Men can do what they want. Oh, the husband wants to go have an affair? That's his right. He can do it if he wants to. Husband wants to keep his wife at home as a slave and just treat her like garbage? She's basically his property. He can do that if he wants. That was the attitude in the ancient world. And I know... Paul saying right here, wives submit to your own husbands. It, it might seem outdated. It might seem regressive in our day and age. But when Paul wrote this down, this was scandalously progressive for his day and age. Like Paul actually gives instructions to the husbands. He actually gives more instructions to the husbands than the wives. He actually treats the wife as a free person who's able to make her own choices and decisions in the marriage. That was unheard of in the ancient world. And Paul wants to be very clear to the men. Your wife is not your property. Your wife is not a slave to just do with what you want. Your wife is a gift from God for you to love and to cherish and provide for and protect. Paul's calling not just for equality in marriage, because even when you're equal, you still fight with each other for who gets their rights, right? He's calling for something deeper than that. 
He's calling for a mutual submission where we each lay down our rights for the good of the other, which is countercultural in any day and age. And all of that means any authority a husband has in the marriage, it's not for the sake of his own comfort. It's not for the sake of just getting his way. It's for the sake of serving and loving his family, helping his wife grow into the person that God wants her to be. And that's not easy, right? Laying down our rights, whether you're a man or a woman, it does not come naturally to us. By nature and by nurture, we believe that this is not the path to true life, right? By nature, we're just hardwired to want things our way. Justine and I, we did not teach our boys to be selfish, I hope. But if you come to our house and you see one of our children holding a toy that the other one wants, you know what's going to happen? The other one's going to walk up, grab it, yank it out of his hands, and maybe push his brother down to get it. We did not teach them that behavior, but they figured it out because that's how we're wired. We want things our way. And if, if he has it, I'm going to take it. And it's not just by nature. It's also what we've been taught from day one. We're taught by society, that true life comes from getting everything my way, having everything just the way I want it. You need to fight for what's yours. If they won't give it to you, then just take it. And because of the way we're wired, because of the way we've been taught, when we hear these commands like submit to one another, lay down your life for one another, it just feels like we're dying, doesn't it? Like for the women, have you ever thought about this? Submission only really becomes submission when you and your husband disagree. As long as you and he agree, you're not really submitting. You're just going along with what you would have done anyway and you have a thumbs up for it, right? It only really becomes submission when he says, I think we should do this. And you say, no, no, I think this is the right choice. And you have to lay down your rights to go along with his leadership rather than fighting for your rights. But submitting in that way, laying down your rights like that, giving up on the thing that you want to do or maybe think is a better choice, doesn't it just feel like a little part of you is dying when you do that? Or men, the love that Paul is talking about here, it only really becomes love when it requires sacrifice. Like you remember, this might be a while back for some of us, but remember when you were first dating your wife, you would go plan extravagant stuff for her and, and spend lots of time trying to serve her but it didn't really feel like a sacrifice, did it? It was exciting. It was fun. You're getting to know her better. You're getting to see different sides of her. And you're like, I love how she's going to respond when she sees this amazing thing that I planned for her. And then you get married and 10 years go by and you have a couple kids. You know where this is going, right? <laughs> you're like, there's nothing new for me to learn about my spouse. She no longer appreciates anything I do for her. She's not even going to notice if I do this. She will notice if I don't do it. And then I'm going to get complaints. But that's when love really becomes love. When we know no one's going to notice, no one's going to recognize us for it. Our wife's not going to come and be like, I love you and appreciate you so much. Thanks for doing the dishes. And we still do the dishes anyway. But when you're doing the dishes, doesn't it just feel like a little part of you is dying? It, it, loving the way that Paul calls us to here, submitting the way that Paul calls us to here. It's hard because it feels like part of us is dying when we do it. And you know the crazy thing? Paul's goal isn't just that we would do these things. Like I have to love my wife. His goal is that we would do them with joy. 
How on earth do you reach the point where you can lay down your life for your spouse, where you can submit to your spouse with joy? Well, that brings us to the power for marriage. And the only thing powerful enough to make this change in us is the gospel. Last Sunday, we had our first session of baptism and membership class. It was a full house. It was awesome. And we spent the entire session talking about the gospel. Now, why would we do that? Presumably, people coming to baptism and membership class already know the gospel, right? Why would we spend an entire session talking about the gospel, this good news that God saves sinners through the death and resurrection of Jesus? You know why? Because the gospel is not only what makes someone a Christian and gets us in the door, it's what empowers Christians for every single step of growth in their spiritual life. It's not that we become a Christian through hearing the gospel and then take a few steps and realize I need something deeper and leave that behind to move on to other stuff. It's actually that the more deeply we understand the gospel, the more we understand how that applies to our lives, the more our hearts are going to be changed and drawn towards joyful obedience to God. That's why every sermon, we try and tie it back to to how does the gospel help us to obey? Because the gospel is at the same time, it's what non-Christians need to hear in order to become Christians. And it's what Christians need to hear for every single step of their growth to become more like Jesus. We all need the same thing. We all need the gospel. And as we see this passage, you look through it and the gospel is everywhere in this passage. Paul just weaves it through his teaching for men and for women. Why do we resist what God calls us to do in marriage? It's because we're selfish. We want to put our desires first. And for both men and women, the gospel is the only power source strong enough to transform our stubborn hearts and make them obedient hearts that approach marriage in the way that God wants us to. So how does it do this? Well, for women, it shows that gospel submission makes you glorious, that authority and freedom are not mutually incompatible, but actually under the gospel, they go together so that living under God's authority is the path to truly becoming glorious. Through the death of Jesus on, your cross, on the cross, if you're a Christian, God has washed away your sins. All the shame and guilt from things you've done wrong in the past, they're washed away the moment you trust in Jesus. And when that happens, when you become a Christian, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, comes in to live inside you and teach you how to live, to guide you through life. But living properly as a Christian means living under God's authority. God uses that authority each day to teach you more and more and to to shape you into this beautiful, glorious, marvelous woman that he wants you to be. Being under authority, it's not opposed to your flourishing and, and freedom. It's essential for it, right? God's authority frees us from hurting ourselves and hurting others through living the wrong way. And we can trust ourselves to God's authority because he's already shown his willingness to die for us. He's proven to us that if we trust ourselves to his authority, he's not going to abuse us. He's not going to take advantage of us. He's going to use that power to serve us and seek our good. But when we submit to God's authority, that also includes submitting to other authorities that God put in our lives. And like God's authority, when these things are functioning properly, They're not put in place to hold you back. They're actually given to you to to advance you and move you forward so that you can flourish, 
As crazy as this sounds in our culture, the gospel shows us that the goal of submission in marriage is flourishing and glory and marvelousness. And for men, the gospel shows us that God's love for us calls us to love others. God's sacrifice for us calls for us to sacrifice for others. Christianity is not just knowing and believing a lot of facts about God. It's being drawn into God's life, being transformed into his image each day. And what better way to be drawn into his life and transformed into his image than joining him in suffering for the good of others. The gospel shows us the path to true life is through death. Jesus said only those who lose their life will find it. He modeled that this is true by laying down his life for us. We're told in Hebrews 12, he did it for the joy set before him. He endured the worst suffering possible because he saw something beautiful on the other side of it. And so he endured that suffering with joy because his focus was on the beauty that would come about through that suffering. Husbands, that's what God calls us to do for our wife, to lay down your life, to suffer for her, but to do it with joy because you know that there's something beautiful on the other side. Your wife becoming the woman, the beautiful, marvelous, glorious woman that God has created her to be. It's not that we do it to earn God's love. It's we do it because God's already done it for us. And we're responding to his love for us by showing that same love to the wife that he's given to us. So that's how we get the power to do this. But then the question is, when, when that happens, when the gospel gets a hold of our hearts, what does that actually look like in practice? So let's look at some practicalities of marriage. Because, you know, for example, we've been talking about submission this whole sermon. We haven't actually defined it yet. What does it actually mean for a wife to submit to her husband? Well, this Greek word submit, like, like I said, it means laying down your rights for the sake of others, which again, in this passage, largely synonymous with the command for men to love. Both men and women are called to lay down their rights for the sake of others, for the good of others. But again, it carries a little bit of different nuance. And this word submit, it's also sometimes used in a military context. It refers to soldiers who are put under the command of a higher ranking officer. That's, that's the imagery that comes to mind when Paul uses this word. So in light of this, submission means giving your husband authority in the home. That word giving is key. Submission is always, always, always supposed to be a gift given by the wife, not a right demanded by the husband. If the husband is demanding submission from his wife, that's a recipe for disaster and trouble, right? This is supposed to be a gift given by the wife to the husband. And this definition comes with lots of caveats, lots of qualifiers, right? So for example, it doesn't mean if the husband says something, we must automatically do what he says and go with that right away, right? Like as a wife, God has put you in the home as a helper. Sometimes the most helpful thing you can do with, for your husband is say, I don't think that's a good idea. Have you thought about these implications of what you've suggested? Have you considered this alternative idea? Sometimes, this is gonna shock you ladies, Sometimes men make decisions without fully thinking things through. Did you know that? <laughs> I know, it's incredible. Life lessons from church on Sunday morning. But sometimes the most incredibly helpful thing you can do is just help him think through decisions. 
obviously with a, a tone of respect, like we've been seeing, but God put you in his life to be a helper, to help him think through decisions that he makes. You're, you're not out of line if you're doing that role. Or how about in verse 24, when it says, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Does it really mean everything? Well, remember the bigger context here, that the submission of wives to husbands is a specific application of the general rule that all Christians are supposed to submit to one another. And that is an application of what's going to happen in our lives when we're filled with the Spirit. And that general submission to one another, it says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, which means obedience to God and submission to God frame this whole discussion. Your ultimate responsibility, wives, is to God, not to your husband, which again was revolutionary in that culture. It was just automatically assumed in the ancient world, if you get married, you take your husband's religion. And, and Paul's saying like, no, it's possible for a Christian wife to be married to someone who's not a Christian, for a wife to choose to leave her husband's religion and come follow Jesus instead. But what this means is if your husband tells you to do something sinful, you not only have the right to say no, you have the responsibility to say no to that because your responsibility to God comes first, which means submission does not mean turning a blind eye to abuse or being okay with abuse. Like if abuse is evil, God hates it. He calls his people to fight against it. Woman, if your husband is being physically abusive, do not let him use this passage as a weapon against you. Get out, get to safety. Like if you or your kids are in physical danger from your spouse, call the police. Do not call me. I can't do anything for you in that moment. Call the police. Once you're out, once you're to safety, then you can call me and the church can help you figure out next steps of how to work with you guys through that. But if there is danger, you are not called to submit to your husband when he is threatening your family. Get out, get to safety. And all of this hopefully helps clarify one other big question that some women might have which is if my husband is not a Christian, am I still called to submit to him? And the answer is yes, to the extent that you can do that without dishonoring God. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says God can actually use Christian wives submitting to their husbands as a way of helping their husbands become Christians. Did you know that? God can use Christian wives submitting to their non-Christian husbands as a way of helping their husbands become Christians. That's not a promise or a guarantee that if you just do everything right, then your husband will walk down the aisle someday or anything like that. But hopefully it encourages you if you're a Christian wife with a non-Christian husband that God can use your submission as one of his biggest tools for saving your husband. And we've talked a lot about what this looks like for the wives. What about for the men? What does it look like for us? Lay down your life for your wife. Right, it sounds like if someone like walks in with a gun and they're pointing at your wife, you're expected to like step in and take the bullet for her and be the hero and rescue her, right? Lay down your life. I think that could be a application of this, but I don't think it's the main one Paul's going for here for a couple of reasons. One, I don't know that any of us is ever going to be in that situation. Hopefully none of us will ever be in that situation. But second, Jesus taught that whoever is faithful in very little will be faithful in much, and whoever is unfaithful in very little will be unfaithful in much. So the bigger question is not, would you be willing to step in front of a man with a gun to save your wife's life? The bigger question is, on a day-to-day -day basis, how do you lay down your rights and desires 
in order to love and serve your wife to help make her glorious and marvelous. Men, on a Monday evening, you get home from work. What does it look like for you to lay down your rights to love and serve your wife so that she can become more marvelous? And it's typically not going to be big, glamorous things. It's more often going to be things like changing a poopy diaper, doing dishes, talking with your wife about her feelings when you'd really rather just turn on the TV and zone out. Right? You know those conversations? That's laying down your life for your wife. It's maybe helping keep the kids in line so your wife doesn't always have to be the bad guy. Being involved, being present, looking for opportunities to serve and doing them. Small things that require you to lay down your desires over and over and over and over again. But here's the secret. If you're not ever willing to practically love your wife in these seemingly small ways, you're never going to be willing to love her in what seems like bigger ways. These small things are the exact things that Paul's calling for us to do day after day to love our wives. How about singles or teens? What does all this mean for you? Yeah, you. It means be very careful who you marry, right? Submission in marriage is hard. Laying down your life for your wife is hard. Even with the best of spouses, these things are hard. I know because I have the best spouse and it's still hard. But if your spouse is entitled, and lazy, and just complains about everything, if they're unwilling to do their role in the marriage, it just takes something that's already hard and makes it so many times harder. So as you're dating or thinking about dating, women, ask yourself these questions. Is this a man I would be willing to submit to if I marry him? Can I trust that if I submit to him, he will use his authority in the marriage for my good? Will being married to him make me more marvelous by making me more like Jesus? And men, as you're dating, ask yourself, is this a woman I would be willing to lay my life down for if I marry her? Am I excited about the woman she can become and about getting to play a part in helping her become more like Jesus? Taking time to think through these things and, and try as much as possible while you're dating to see if the person you're thinking about marrying is someone you're excited to do these things with just helps put a good foundation in your marriage from the very start. All right, in terms of practicalities, day-to-day -day things of life, like childcare and work and family finances, what does submission and authority look like? Well, I think Kathy Keller answers this better than I could. She says, while the principle is clear that the husband is to be the servant leader and have ultimate responsibility and authority in the family, the Bible gives almost no details about how that's expressed in concrete behavior. Here's what that means. Different cultures, different times, see different roles as masculine or feminine. Different people have different skills or roles in the family that they enjoy doing. Like there's nothing in the Bible that says the man must control the family finances. If you are a man and numbers make no sense to you and you're married to an accountant, you'd be an idiot to not have her run the family finances, right? There's no instruction that the man must do this, the woman must do this. Different life situations require families to adopt different arrangements for day-to-day -day details than they may have had at other times or than they may think of as ideal. But God gives you as a couple the freedom to adopt different arrangements that work for your family for those day-to-day -day practicalities. So you and your spouse, it means you guys need to communicate to figure out what each of these things looks like 
in your marriage? What does it look like for you to each live out laying down your rights to serve and love one another? And finally, how do you know if this is working right in your marriage? Is there some sort of test that you can do to see if you're on the right track? Obviously, probably not getting it perfect, but moving in the right direction. Well, as we see throughout this passage, the relationship between a husband and a wife, it mirrors the relationship between Christ and the church. And we've already seen in Ephesians, Christ's headship of the church empowers and equips the church. We saw in chapter four, because Christ is our head, we get spiritual gifts as a church. Which means if headship and authority and submission are working right in a Christian home, the wife is not going to be held back. The wife is not going to be kept down. She's going to be empowered and equipped and gifted to do everything that she was meant to do as a wife. You know that this is working right when the wife is becoming more marvelous and glorious and amazing every single day. Husbands, you don't just look at your wife and say, is she doing everything I tell her to? We're on the right page. No. It's, is she becoming more incredible and amazing, more like Jesus, more glorious and marvelous every day? If that's the case, that's a sign that you're moving in the right direction. So church, authority and submission in marriage, they're not popular ideas in our world today. But they're actually gifts that God gives to us in order to help us know him more and become more like him and to become more glorious and marvelous by becoming more like him. Fulfilling the roles you're called to in marriage, it's not always going to be easy. But the gospel gives us that power and strength to lay down our rights, to stop fighting for what we want, so that we can seek the good of our spouse above our own and help them become more glorious by becoming more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this teaching on husbands and wives and for not just leaving us on our own to figure out how to do marriage, but for showing us what your plan is for marriage and your goals, your beautiful goals of making us glorious and marvelous through marriage. God, I pray that for husbands here and wives here, that we would all be willing to lay down our rights for the good of our spouses. For the singles here, I pray that you would be guiding them as they think through who to marry and that you would bring them people that they're able to do this with uh, in a way that honors you. Yeah, God, help us to love you more and walk in obedience to you each day. In Jesus' name. Amen.